Habakkuk chapter 2. So Habakkuk 2, starting at verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all peoples. Shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. How long unto him that ladeth himself with thick clay. So far, let us pray. Holy God, again, we come before you. Oh, how precious is your word. To think that you have condescended and stooped down and through the mouthpiece of your prophets and apostles have given us these eternal words, words that speak steadfast and solid truth. Lord, that we can come here and hear things that give us the compass to navigate life and to walk through this dark world into the light of eternity. Oh, Lord, we thank you for that. Give me wisdom to bring it faithfully. Give us ears to hear it. Give us discernment, minds of discernment. And Lord, in all things, may it lift up our hearts to worship our God. In your name, amen. So this morning, I want to just deal with that phrase we skipped over last time in verse 4. The last phrase, but the just shall live by his faith. I feel like talking about this phrase was like taking a car and lifting the hood and just pointing out the components of the engine and the components under the hood. But I feel like there's so much more that could be said about this little phrase. So we're going to just point out some of the parts here and hopefully the cohesive whole will speak this morning. Just to remind you of where we've been, we've seen that the Lord answers Habakkuk's perplexity by giving a vision that corresponds to the tables of stone of the covenant documents at Mount Sinai. And we saw that as this vision comes, there's a reminder to be patient, to wait. God will speak in due time, verse 3. And then we looked last time at verses 4 and 5, the, the two different responses, really the two paths of life, the proud And those who walk by faith. And today we're going to be looking at what it means to live by faith. I have three points this morning. One is the life of faith. Two is the way of faith. And thirdly, the breadth of faith. And we will spend most of our time on that last point. So first of all, the life of faith. Look carefully at the phrase here. It says, the just shall live by his faith. Tzaddik, very common word speaking about the righteous in the book, in the Hebrew language. 
righteousness. The word righteous is used three times in Habakkuk more than any of the other minor prophets. The only prophets that use this word righteous or just more than Habakkuk are the two major prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel. But the lion's share of the word tzaddik or righteous, guess where it is? In which two books? It's in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. In the books of the Psalms and Proverbs. That's where the, they stand head and shoulders above the rest. Now, why the wisdom literature? Because the wisdom literature deals with the way the world works. It's just unpacking life as it is. It's instructional literature. And it is there that we clearly see the, the word righteousness gets anchored in three major um, three major subcategories. They are these. The righteous are moral. And that's usually what we think of the word righteous or just. They're moral people. But we also see there it is covenantal. And lastly, we see it is legal. So it is moral. It is covenantal, which means relationship and legal. And so we have to, when we see the word the just, keep all three in mind, because that's how God views what the righteous are. And it is who he is. He is Ultimately, the ultimate standard of righteousness. He is the one who covenants with people and has an eternal covenant within the Godhead and legal. It's the status of how we stand before him. Psalm 11 verse 7 says this, linking the legal and the relational in many ways. It says, the righteous Lord loveth, there's your covenant, righteousness. His countenance does behold, there's your legal side, the upright. And together they are moral. We've got to get the significance of this word righteousness or the just. To be righteous then is necessarily religious. You cannot be righteous without some relationship to God. And so the people walking outside of Jesus Christ are not righteous. Scripturally, they have to be viewed as pure, which is moral, as people who delight in God, which is covenantal, and who are blameless, which is, again, legal. Have you paused and thought about the important need this pulls up for us, that it unpacks the reality that I must be accounted righteous before God? What good is the praise of men if God rejects us? It's easy to slap one another on the back and say, oh, good for you. The approval of men is vain if we don't have the approval of God, isn't it? What good is a life lived with lots of money, lots of friends, lots of experiences, lots of travel? The few years here are a vapor. If afterwards, after you've done all you wanted to do and lived for the approval of men, you will be condemned to everlasting hell. What good is that? Make it your business to know that you are just. So how is one declared just? Now we're going to look at the rest of the verse. 
We see here two main other words, faith and live. The just shall live by faith. The word faith in the entire corpus of the Old Testament is only translated here by the translators as faith. Everywhere else, it's translated as faithfulness or steadfastness. And the challenge is, well, why did they, the translators translate it here as the, the, those of faith, right? The just shall live by his faith instead of the just shall live by his faithfulness. And that's what we need to look at. I agree with O. Palmer Robertson. He's a theologian who captures well the word faith when he says it is an ongoing commitment and a trusting disposition. An ongoing. That's why you get faithfulness. It's ongoing disposition and or ongoing commitment and trustful disposition. But the other interesting thing about this phrase, and you've got to start thinking now, is that the word faith does not link with the word we think it links with. What do you think it links with? What are we used to linking it with? The just. Justified by faith. That's what we think of. But the Hebrew explicitly links it with shall live. Now just bear that in mind. We're going to pick that concept up later that it does not link with the just. Okay, we're going to just, just hold that up. We'll look at that component under the hood later on. So linking faith with he shall live means this. There is a way of faithfulness, ongoing commitment that links with abundant life. Habakkuk talks about this already earlier. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. We looked at this. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine Holy One, we shall not die. In other words, we shall live. And the vision coming to this perplexed Habakkuk says, the just shall live or continue to trust God and therefore live. It blends with eternality, this idea of living. And so we see this in the Old Testament in the covenant documents. Remember, this is all covenantal. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, listen to this. It says, linking all these concepts, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, which is somebody of faith, loves God. That thou mayest obey his voice. Well, people of faith obey. That thou mayest cleave unto him. There's again, language of faith. And then it says this, for he is thy life and the length of thy days. The just shall live by his faith or in faithfulness, he shall live. To give life then and to be living is not just our heartbeat here pounding for a while until it stops beating. It links with eternality. It links with God himself. A life lived now is the trusting realization that we already today, by faith, possess what will continue to be ours into eternity forever and ever and ever. Perhaps you are here and some of the pains of last week or the last year have remind you of the increasing frailty of this life here. Our bodies are giving way. We get gray, we wrinkle, 
we get pains we never thought we could have. Sometimes it's funny, like I was climbing a ladder a couple weeks ago, a couple times up and down, and suddenly my leg shot out. I'm like, I didn't have that before. And you start to realize, boy, it doesn't take a lot. And your life can be completely different. Right now, there are millionaires who are investing in reanimation technology. And some, when they die, they ask that their bodies for upwards of 30,000 US dollars are put into this frozen chamber, liquid nitrogen at minus 200 degrees Celsius, all in the hope that one day technology be, will be there that they can reanimate these bodies. And, and I think, what? You want to come back to this world? To this brokenness? To this, 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 this tragic, sin-filled world? That is a hope of despair. No, that's not the way the book of Habakkuk talks about life. That's not the life God promises. No, the life of God is so much more. God has so much more in mind than the few years we grace this planet. He's not talking about Joel Osteen's your best life now. No, this vision declares the eternal, consummate life in fellowship with God that awaits everyone who lives by faith. And so let us do away with all notions of self-actualization, self-fulfillment. No, this is a gift from God, and God never disappoints the hope of his people. It is because of this life that the believer, those of faith, possess, that the Apostle Paul could say this, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, Philippians 1.21. And so, Christian believers among us, as you face the swelling banks of the Jordan River, death is but a gateway to that eternal life that is already ours. How solid is the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, on whom we stand as we pass through death's dark door. And in him, the believer today already beholds the shores of heaven. They belong to us. We see them in the distance. And that's why death is not something that we need to be afraid of. How firm is our footing as we pass into the eternal forever? Even now, the Spirit, by faith, the Spirit indwells us and He gives us the appetizers of the delights of heaven's tables. The spices of eternal life are already perfuming the believer today as we celebrate and enjoy and feast on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Richard Sibbs, the Puritan, wrote this. He says, God will, God will sweeten and fits us for heaven and happiness. And so that is the faith. Those who continue on faithfulness, steadfast trust in God. Point two, the way of faith. Now remember, faith links to life. And therefore, the emphasis in Habakkuk is not like this. It does not read, the justified by faith shall live. It actually reads, the justified shall live by faith. Get that? The justified by faith shall live. No, no, no. The justified 
shall live by faith. So rather than talking about the way in which we are declared righteous in Habakkuk, it stresses the way the gift of life continues to be received. A true believer will continue to trust, continue to hope. And therefore, woodenly translated, the Hebrew would be like this. But the righteous, in his faithfulness, he will live. Talks about two ways again. The way of pride, feeding off of others. And the way of faith, or faithfulness, feeding on Christ, feasting on Christ. And therefore, hardship as you go upon this path of life and inexplicable questions like Habakkuk had, how could you do this, O Lord, bringing the Chaldeans to Judah with such terror should not be handled with pride? I got this one, Lord. I've got it figured out. It's okay. I got my Bible. I know. But the true life amidst perplexity, amidst struggle and disaster is lived by a continuing trust in Jehovah God. Now that's easy to say. Before the days as farmers of having GPS for cultivating and mowing and all that kind of stuff, in order to make a straight line in the field with the tractor when you were cutting a swath with the mower, my dad told me I remember we'd be sitting at the back end of the corridor. He said, look far ahead to a tree on the other side or something way beyond and keep your eyes focused on that item and drive straight at it. All right, that's what I was told to do. But I remember as a young whippersnapper taking my eyes off of the mark because it didn't quite feel right. I felt like I was swerving, so I looked more this way and corrected as I went. And then by the time you got to the end of the field, you looked back and it was a mess, right? I kept my eyes on the local things. I looked down, not ahead. I disregarded the advice. Oh, how the way of faith does not in pride think he's got it figured out. Look around him. The eye of faith takes the word. The the counsel of God looks at what the counsel of God says and keeps the eye focused on that. And that is how we go through life. I should have trusted my dad's advice. Will, will you trust the word of Almighty God, infallible and sure, and keep your eyes laser-locked on his promises? His word doesn't fail. But as we look into the coming year, you don't know what will happen, right? Perhaps this year will bring crumbling health. Perhaps it will be a year of difficulty for your children, for yourself. Perhaps it will be a year of enormous blessing and um, prosperity. But that can be a temptation in itself too. Maybe we will be tempted with the alluring sweets of the world in a peculiar fashion this year. How will we navigate the future? Well, here lies the secret to living in the new year. Here is the sure path of living to face the trials, the temptations, the doubts, 
It is confidence, faith in God that drives your roots down so that when the winds blow, you are rooted deep because you trusted the word of Almighty God. That ends points one and two, the explanation of the text. Now I want to pick up some vital questions here because if you know your New Testament, you know this gets quoted three times in the New Testament. So this brings us to the third point, the breadth of faith. We still need to answer the vital question, how is one declared just? And for that, we will sit at the feet of the Apostle Paul, who quotes this twice. And if he wrote Hebrews, he quotes it three times. We looked at the Hebrews passage last time. We won't look at that today. We're going to look at the other two quotations. Let's take a look carefully here, because it seems that the Apostle Paul is taking Habakkuk out of context and saying, the justified by faith shall live, instead of saying, the just shall live by his faithfulness. So what's going on, Paul? Do you know your Old Testament? Let's look at this. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Verse 16. We'll start at verse 15. To give a little bit of context. Romans 1.15. So as much as in, is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For... Explaining that. For therein is the righteousness of God. You see that? Re- un- um, the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For both Paul and Habakkuk, we can say one thing for sure. Everything centers on the righteousness of God. But Paul attaches the means of justification or faith to justification instead of to life. Remember, I said that earlier. Habakkuk links and the Hebrew links it to life. Paul takes faith and links it to justification. What are you doing, Paul? Well, here's the key. Paul says in this verse, he proclaims, or in the verse before, he, he talks about the gospel he proclaims is in the midst of what? A righteous judgment of God. The entire swath of chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about the righteous judgment of Almighty God. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's very similar to Habakkuk's situation. Because remember in Habakkuk, the people of Judah were unrighteous. The Chaldeans were unrighteous. And it's a big unrighteous mess. And God is bringing judgment. So in both Habakkuk and Paul, we have a righteous God who brings holy wrath upon the unrighteous. So that's similar. So Paul's got that in his mind. For both. It will be the revelation of judgment, the Chaldeans in Habakkuk, and all sorts of sins in Romans that will explain 
or exegete that through judgment, God's righteous salvation will be made known. Salvation through judgment. Deliverance through righteous wrath. The vision of Habakkuk whispers the gospel. That's what it does. It announces this deliverance through judgment. Think about it for a second. Both are teaching then that in order for salvation to come, there must be righteous judgment. It is shadowed in Habakkuk. But when it says then that those of faith will live, it is already saying that through this darkness, people of faith will pass through the judgment to eternal life. Remember, we talked about this life. So both for Habakkuk and Paul, faith becomes the link to pass through the unfolding wrath of God. But still speaking of this righteousness, Paul has a burden in bringing the gospel to talk about the justifying or righteousifying, that's not even a word, righteousifying or justifying act where a righteous judgment is placed on who? Because if it's salvation through judgment, what is the gospel? The gospel is but the wrath of God, which is holy, placed on someone who is a sin bearer. And in that we see the gospel. The just shall live by faith is the just living in the faith of the wrath of God being poured out on a sin bearer. What do you get when someone dies? Blood is spilt. The apostle Paul, in bringing the gospel, will bring the justifying act of God Found in the gospel, the death of Jesus Christ dying in the sinner's stead. And that righteous act of the son dying, bearing our sin, is then accounted to the man of faith. That's what's happening. And the apostle is picking that up. And just like in the book of Habakkuk, where the proud continually leans on their own worth. That's what the proud do. Oh, look at me. I've got this. I will accomplish things for myself. I will stand for me before God. I have merits to bring. Surely God can help me. But I've got something to contribute. The man of faith looks completely away from himself and beholds the sin bearer. Him who absorbed the wrath of almighty God and by faith looks to Jesus. That's the gospel. And so the just are continually leaning, not on their own worth, like the proud. They are leaning on the worth of another, Jesus Christ. There's more to be said here. We'll come back. Let's go to Galatians. Galatians 3, the second quotation. Start here in verse 3. The Apostle Paul picks up, speaking to this Galatian church, and says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Why does he say that? 
Where if Romans is all about justification, Galatians is about sanctification because there's something happening in the Galatian church. The Judaizers say, hey, yeah, you, you, you can have Jesus to start with, but to seal the deal, to maintain your just status, you better keep the law. That's the Galatian challenge. And Paul picks that up. Let's go to verse 10 here. He says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. He basically says, hey, you want to live like that proud man again and finish the race in your own strength? You got to keep it to a T, everything. And if you don't, the curse is on you. There is no way of living by the law. It will not work. Verse 11 says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for, explanatory conjunction, the just shall live by faith. There's the next quotation. So get this together. In Romans, it's all about justification. How do we stand before the court of a God? In Galatians, it's about sanctification. How we continue to abide in that. And it's all by one. Faith. Faith. And so Paul reinforces faith as faithfulness. Now, there's one more layer to add to this to make it even more complex. Let's lift the hood and look at the centerpiece here for a second. We've got to go back to the Old Testament to really the fountain of the covenant people, the patriarch, Abraham. Let's go back to Genesis. Genesis 15. A little bit of a sword drill this morning. Genesis is not so hard to find. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. There's life. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. There's a problem. He needs an heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards the heaven and tell the stars or count the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. But look at the next verse. The promise is made. Life is tied to it. Here's your faith. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. The link between faith and righteousness is thick in the covenant documents. But you got to remember, Abraham had to wait. There would be apparent delay. Where did we see delay in our reading? Though the visions speak, wait for it. Though it seems to tarry, it will come. Abraham had the same thing as Habakkuk. 
waiting, trusting, faith. Remember, commitment, a trustful disposition to continue to wait. Abraham, or Abram at this point, was encouraged to faithfulness even though the future looked bleak and all he had was Eleazar, who was not of his own bowels. And thus the mixture in Abraham between patient trust and being just are tied together. In fact, patient trust, ongoing trust, and therefore being just, righteous, are the heartbeat of what it means to be a covenant member. Faith is linked in this passage to the legal standing, the moral standing, and the covenantal standing that I opened up with way in the beginning. Now, this thinking is strengthened by the Apostle Paul because guess where he quotes this passage, verse 6. Where does he quote it? In which two books? Romans and Galatians. Romans 4, he quotes at verse 3, and Galatians, the very chapter we were looking at it, where he cites the just shall live by faith, that's also where he quotes this, that um, he would believed God and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, I want to put this all together. Abraham trusted the word of promise. And by means of that trust, he was accounted as just. Okay? Habakkuk, a man of faith, who was therefore already just because he was a man of faith, would continue to live as he moved forward in that same trust. And now the Apostle Paul in the New Testament proclaims the fulfillment of the promise, of the vision, of the hope, of the seed in his gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has the same core message. The just shall live by his faith. In other words, there is only a righteousness to be had in trust. Trust is the means, the link, the conduit through which we are justified. And we have to see here that faith of Abraham, the faith of Habakkuk, the faith of Paul wasn't just momentary. And we see this so many times. You have VBSs and you hear how 30 little kids gave their lives to Jesus and they don't care about what happens afterwards. You have Christians who profess Jesus and they walk away the rest of their lives because it doesn't matter. They turn Christ and Christianity and justification into a get out of jail free concept. They, they turn it into fire insurance. Is that the way you understand the gospel? One time transaction. I believe that stuff. And that's it. That is the gospel from hell. Ongoing trust. Standing just in Jesus Christ alone every day of your life. That is the continual faithfulness. Now it is not standing in ourselves. It is standing completely in the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. So... Does the Apostle Paul abuse Habakkuk? Does he take him out of context? Not in the least. Not in the least. There is really not a stark difference between faith and faithfulness. The very thread is woven through the book of Romans itself. In fact, faith 
serves in the book of Romans as the origin of justification and as the framework for the continuation of righteousness in sanctification. Go back to Romans. I wanted to see one phrase I didn't talk about. It kind of ties this all together. Romans 1, right back to the quotation. Seventeen, again, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed, look at the next phrase, from faith to faith. What that means, like I've been arguing, is that the origin and the continuation is all bound up in one simple thing, faith. It starts with faith, it ends with faith, and praise be to God, it doesn't begin with faith, and end with myself. That'd be a horrible recipe. I don't want to get stuck in the Galatian error of beginning in the spirit and ending in the flesh. That is exactly what Paul says. Charles Hodge, the great theologian, says this. He says then, works forms no part of that righteousness in which we can stand before the tribunal of God. Not in its beginning, nor in its end, it is entirely by faith from first to last. It is all, as the Reformation would say, sola fide. Sola fide. Have you heard that great good news? That is good news. That it does not get accounted to some contribution of ourselves. Has the sweet honey of the word dropped Unto your tongue. We are justified then, people, when we are emptied of ourselves. When we come hungry, helpless, destitute as beggars, sinners deserving of hell. To trust in the perfect, righteousness, life-giving, pure, all-sufficient merits of Jesus Christ. Whose name do you want to honor? At the end of life, when you stand before the great tribunal and are judged, whose name will be most important? Will you stand with those who built their towers of Babel and Babylon, Babylon and the kingdoms of this world? Will you line up behind Nebuchadnezzar and say, I'm with that guy? Oh, heaven forbid. We must be accounted in the great advocate, the judge himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is faith? Faith is beholding the justifier in God himself. And so don't hear the message this morning and say, I believe that, and then pick up the shackles of finding the strength in your own belief and tying them back to yourself again and saying, well, how much belief do I have? And you're shackling yourself to your feelings. You're shackling yourself to, to anything you contribute. No, don't do that. You cannot improve upon what is free. You can only receive it with an empty hand. That's all you have to bring. From Christ flows infinite streams of righteousness. The sure ark of Christ is impenetrable and will carry you through all of the days of the storms of this life into eternity. 
Oh, rejoice then, believer, in the gospel. We live in Christ. The heartbeat of the justified will beat and continue to beat because we stand by him who has begun a good work in us and will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so here's how we live. Here's the faithfulness that we must have. Are you prepared to daily give up all the crutches which are sure to disappoint? Because just like a cripple wants to grab the crutch again and rely on himself, cast them from you. Hold the hand of the Almighty instead. Isn't trusting in your ability to keep the law but running on the fumes of Adam's failure. Are you daily abandoning, daily abandoning the fortifications of self-confidence? Oh, the devil is eager to help you build those walls. Brick by brick, we are so prone to enlist as masons in the crew of the devil and to go back and build those walls that we establish instead. No, no, let us stand on the faith, on the righteousness of Christ and enlist in the army of the master every day afresh, every day afresh, building one another up in the most holy faith. Daily report for duty for King Jesus, the great master builder, as he is called in Corinthians, the Lord Jesus Christ. How then do, does a just person live? Dispossessed, of all protection in this world, all things he once thought to hold so dear, the just will live by his faith, fixing his mind on the things that are above. The just one daily, daily flees to Christ and pleads his mercies. As we go into the new year, We don't know what stands ahead. The challenges ahead may seem to you at some times insurmountable. Perhaps you're sitting here nervous and tentative about what comes ahead. Past failures and present dangers haunt you. Although this whole world may perish, Although this nation of Canada may go through a major upheaval in 2024. Although the fiery darts of the devil will fly violently against you to destroy you. We are called to hold fast by faith. The shield of faith wherewith we will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. Continue to walk, looking to him. United to Christ, we are united to the prince of life. And nobody can snatch us out of his hands. Your life, as it says in Colossians, is hidden already now with Christ in God. So whatever happens to me here cannot touch what is mine right now in Jesus Christ. What is yours, believer, your life is buried with him. And that is why, again, when Habakkuk and the Apostle Paul and Abraham use the word lives, the just lives by his faith, it leaps over 
the boundaries of this world and sets us into the life that is eternal. I'm going to close with a number of brief, brief implications. Faith in God impels obedience because our master is good. He is worthy of our best. When you believe he's your master, you will be impelled to more obedience. Faith in God spurs perseverance. Faith blows the shofar of hope. And God says, And thou shalt call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Faith in God compels resilience in the fight against sin, for we fight by faith as forgiven in Christ. We are now justified in Christ. The slave has become a son adopted forever into his household. Faith in God urges a life of compassion for he who dwells on what God has done for me is eager to share the love of God to another. Faith in God is the only motivator to prayer. For faith is beholding a mighty king who is eager to help. And so prayer without faith is not truly empowered prayer. Faith in God holds back pride and provokes humility. Because by faith we look at God and we remember who we are but dust. And where does dust go? To the ground. That's where dust goes. Faith in God informs counseling. You will sit in 2024, most likely, even this afternoon, you will sit with family or friends and speak counsel. Well, when you have faith in God, you will abandon in your counsel the folly of men and embrace the wisdom of God. Faith in God transforms your study of the Bible because information as you read the Bible in the beginning, now empowered by trust, faithfulness in God, will change rote reading into spiritual delight. Faith in God will take you and help you to finish well. Because when you look at God, when you know what his word sets before you, and you realize that the farmer continues the harvest in the field until the last kernel of grain is harvested and then the farmer goes in and rests from his labor. Faith in God will take you, elderly people, young people, and help you to finish well because you know as long as God has left you on this earth, you have a task. Faith in God from the beginning to the end is the gift of God, so that no man can boast. It can only exist by the continual supply of God Himself. And therefore, faith in God is not only sola de fide, it is sola deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Have you come helpless, naked, a beggar to God already? Perhaps you've never admitted 
your unworthiness. Your pride holds you back. The rich, all sufficient, arms of Christ stand open. And he bids you come. He bids you to come naked as a beggar clothed in rags and to embrace his rich robes of righteousness freely given. Oh, come, sinner. Continue, believer, wrapped in those righteous robes of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for that great gospel in which the righteousness of God is accounted to sinners. Oh, Lord, we realize that from beginning to end, we stand only on his merits. And so, Lord, may we hold fast to him. And the eye of faith is looking to you again for our daily food. In Jesus' name. Let us stand before we go to communion and sing the communion hymn.